And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. How many people like to be old and blessed in all things? I just like to be blessed in all things. So Abraham said to his oldest servant of the house, many people think this is Eliezer. Uh, It's the unnamed servant. And whenever you see an unnamed servant in the scripture, it is always a picture of the Holy Spirit. Eliezer, his name means the God who comforts. So it's a great picture of the Holy Ghost, isn't it? So God... Sorry, Abraham speaks to, to the oldest servant of the house, and we think it's Eliezer, and it, who ruled over all that Abraham had. Abraham said, please put your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you'll go to my country and to my family. Holy Ghost has got a mission. And take a wife for my son Isaac. A wife for my son, Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me back to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? The church is not going back. But Abraham said, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send an angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. How many people know that the angel of the Lord, the angels assigned to each and every one of us to direct our paths? Amen? Amen. Does anyone believe it out there? Yeah. Cool. Well, you can have what you believe. Verse 8, And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you're released from my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master. And swore to him concerning this matter. This story is very clearly a prophetic picture of the end time church. Abraham is looking for a bride for his son Isaac. The father is Abraham. His son Isaac is a picture of Jesus. And Jesus is looking right now for a bride. The father wants a bride for the son. Do you get that? Yes. Say yes if you get that. Yes. So Abraham calls the unnamed servant, which is Eliezer, which is a picture of Holy Spirit. And he sends him on a mission to find a people prepared for Jesus. Isn't that exciting? So I want you to see today that Holy Spirit is deeply on a mission even today. He's here right now. And what he is doing, he is preparing your heart, not just to function here on earth, and that's a big part of it, but for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. He is getting you, and what he is doing through all the challenges and victories, he's getting your heart to such a level that it will be equal in, in passion and delight to what the Son has for you. And we're not going home until our fervor for Jesus matches his love and fervor for us. So he's on a mission to find a bride. Verse 10, and then the servant took 10. How many? Not nine or eight or seven or six or five or four, but 10 camels. So whenever you read the Bible and you see things like that, don't skip over it, but ask God, why 10? You could have taken 20, 30, 60, but he took 10 camels and he departed for all his master's goods were in his hand and he arose and he went to Mesopotamia. 
Ten camels. Holy Spirit is here right now in this church and in this nation to put things in order so we're ready for Jesus. He's at work. The number 10 is always connected, if you're taking notes, to the timelines of God and how God carries out his plan in a perfect order. So God has a plan to get the bride ready for the son. And the number 10 right throughout scripture is connected with God's perfect plan, God bringing things about to his plan and his order. 10 is about the kingdom of God, the reign of God. So God prepares a kingdom for a king. The first time kingdom is mentioned in the Bible is in fact in Genesis 10 verse 10. Isn't it interesting? So he sends out 10 camels. When Pharaoh thought he was God over the Israelites, God gave him 10 plagues. God always brings things into order. When Israel decided that they would be God over their, their, their nation and make their own rules and regulations, God sent 10 commandments. Noah was the 10th generation from Adam. And God reminded Noah that, uh, sorry, the, the generation of Noah that he was in charge. We see this all through scripture. So these 10 camels going with, with the servant looking for a, a bride is, is really important you understand that God is about to put everything in his church in order so we're ready for when the sun returns. God's about to put everything in your life in order. God's about to bring every disorder into order. Everything that's not quite right that you've been struggling with and trying to get a breakthrough through, the Holy Ghost is here today to bring everything in your family and in your life into order. God has a plan. And there's provisions on the way. Provisions of breakthrough, financial health provisions, provisions of, of spiritual breakthrough. Revelation is coming to bring everything into order. There's only two ways that God brings things into order. And these two ways, are, you get to choose which one. The first way is through humility. Order comes into our life when we Surrender our hearts to God and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. The other way that order comes is through judgment. Humility or judgment. God always brings order to our lives and it comes either through us bending our knee or through God bringing judgment. You say, Andrew, I thought you taught that there is no judgment in the new creation. Well, yes and no. There is God, God judged all our sin at the cross in Jesus. The world isn't under judgment. The Bible says that judgment is reserved for when, if you, there will be a time when, when God will come and judge the world for rejecting Jesus Christ. There is a day of judgment. But the judgment that comes to the church is a total different judgment. It's a judgment that causes us to discern between what is right and what is wrong, between good and evil. And so... God comes to our life, he comes to our church, he's here right now in our church, bringing things into order to get us ready for what Jesus is about to do. Are you getting this? These 10 camels are coming and they're coming to a bride that is ready for, for, for God to put in order everything in her life and the bride has to be humble because if she's not humble, God will judge all those areas of our life. Judgment's really important. In the New Testament, 
The Bible says if we, if we should judge ourselves you know, at the Lord's table if we don't discern his body, if we don't drink and eat in a worthy manner, we drink judgment to ourselves because yeah. we don't rightly discern. We don't understand the full implications of the cross. Yeah. So God does come to a church and he begins to judge and he chastens us as sons because we're not illegitimate. For the world, he doesn't judge them because they're not sons and daughters. So you don't judge someone else's child. I don't tell other children how to behave. I tell my own children how to behave because they're my sons and my daughters. So judgment comes because God's putting things in order because he loves us because he wants us to be ready for the son. Yeah. Wow. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I was just reading this morning that that there was a man in the church that refused to get his life right. He was sleeping with his father's wife. And, and the church just ignored it. And God said, I want to bring things in order. I want to position you for the bride is cut. Sorry, the, uh, Jesus is coming for a holy and pure bride. I want to put things in order so you can function to your greatest ability. But he wouldn't repent and the church refused to deal with it. And so... Paul said, I handed him over to Satan and the church handed him over to Satan so that he would be judged, so, so that he would bear the, 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 um, the results of what he had sown in his life. Do you know what's really interesting is that you can be living in habitual sin and be in church and the prayers and the covering of your leadership can stop you being judged. And so Paul says to the church, release him. Don't pray for him anymore. Send him out. Cast him out to Satan. Get him out of your covering where Satan can do his job and he'll be chastened and judged and brought back into the family. That's why many people, when they leave the church and they go out and do their own thing, they're being believers. All of a sudden, they come under judgment and you see their lives unwind. It's because they are no longer under covering. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Ten generations from Adam to Noah, God sets up order through judgment. Ten generations from Noah to Abraham, and God sets up order through humility. We get to choose. And Holy Spirit is, is here speaking to us as a church, getting us ready for the greatest outpouring that we have ever seen. And so he's bringing things into order, not because he, he's angry at us, because he loves us. And every area that's not right, that's out of order, I prophesy today that God's bringing order to your life because he loves you. Isn't that exciting? Luke 14, we see that Jesus rearranges the positions of the guest. How does he do it? One's put in the right place through humility and the other's put in their place through judgment. And so God is bringing order to our lives. He's, he's taking things out that don't belong and bringing things in that does. And so what we need to do this season is to humble our hearts. We, we're into, in a season right now of prayer and fasting. And part of that is the humbling of our hearts before God to say, God, come and do what you need to do in my life. Change what needs to be changed. Rearrange what needs to be rearranged so I might be able to please you and I might be able to move with you, that my heart would reflect your heart. So we humble ourselves. God's preference is always that the bride humbles themselves. He, he doesn't want to have to come in and bring judgment and correction. So verse 11, you're still with me? Yeah. Yeah. Is this making sense? Yeah. 
good. And so he made the camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. The camels come and they kneel outside the city by the well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. This verse is filled with with prophetic insight for those that have eyes to see. It's a picture of God pouring out his spirit, the well of water. The well of water. Water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And there's a well there. So the camels arrive at this place where there's so much water. And it's evening time. Evening time is a picture of the end of time. And as I read this scripture, I begin to see that that we're in a, a time when the Bible says that the world will be in its darkest moments. It says that, that arise and shine, the light has come, and, and there'll be deep darkness on the earth. And in this moment where we're surrounded by so much confusion and darkness and, and questionable behavior, and we turn the news on, we wonder what the world's coming to. We see here, at, right at this moment where it looks like everything's going pear-shaped, there will be the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost this nation has ever seen. Wow. The time when women go out to draw water. See, this is the time. When it's dark, the time is to begin to press in to more of the Holy Spirit. You go, I don't know why they're spending so much time in worship and why they're having these fasting times and why do they pray for three hours and lay on the floor and wait on God? Because it's evening time and there's a stirring of the Spirit because God has a plan for this hour. You know, Jesus talked about the days of Noah as a picture of the end times when God said to Noah, go and build an ark. Noah had no reference. It had never rained before. Because the floods are coming, Noah. Noah had no context for what was about to happen. And I want to tell you right now, I don't have and you don't have any context for what God is about to do in this decade. The rains are coming. The floods are coming from underneath us and from above us. It's going to flood. It's going to burst forth. And this verse is a, is a prophetic picture telling you that just before Jesus comes, before the bride goes to meet the sun, there will be much water to be drawn from. Yeah, good. That should excite someone today. You're going, well, I don't know. Well, see, Abraham, sorry, Noah stepped out by faith and built an ark because God said, you ain't seen nothing yet. I know you've never seen rain from heaven, but I'm telling you, Noah, the rain is coming. And I stand here today as God's man to tell you that the rain of the Spirit is surely coming to this place. It is. You go, well, I don't believe it. I don't, it doesn't matter whether you believe it. This is what God is saying. Well, it does matter. I want you to believe it. But the rains are coming. And so I know we don't have context. You say, well, I've been to church for 50 years. I ain't seen nothing. Well, you know, Noah, Noah built the ark for 100 years. He was an, much older than 100 years. And he hadn't seen rain. But he knew the sound of the voice of God. He knew what it meant to be moved by the Spirit. And God said, Noah... Go by faith, because I'm telling you, just 
beyond what you can see is the greatest flood that's ever come to the earth. And I'm telling you today, the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm about to pour my spirit out upon all flesh. And he's going to do that in such a powerful way. This church will be unrecognizable. And so will you. You meek and mild person that's reserved and sitting back there, God's going to get a hold of you and you're never going to be the same again. Really? I know what it's like to be dignified and I know what it's like when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and wrecks you and takes away all your modesty and all your sanctimonious religious behavior and totally splats you and says, I'm in charge. Then the servant said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Verse 13 of Genesis 24. Behold, I stand by the well and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. And I say to you today that we are right now in the most thirsty time that this earth has ever seen. It's never going to be so easier than it is today to lead people into an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You've got to change the way you think. I've had to have an upgrade in my thinking, another upgrade in the last couple of months, my thinking about the church and about what God is doing and about what is possible. It's like I have accepted so, much, so many things that are mediocre and God's saying, acceleration! Yeah. <laughs> now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And she says, drink and I will give some to you camels as well. Let her be the one that you've appointed for my servant Isaac. Sorry, for your servant, Isaac. And by this I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, here comes Rebecca, who was born to her father. And she came out with her jar on her shoulder. He's praying for a bride for his master's son and here comes out Rebecca with a jar on her shoulder it's interesting isn't it because the shoulder of the church represents our governmental strength yeah. and so when the Holy Spirit comes in these days looking for his people it's going to be a people that are functioning in governmental understanding and strength there will be an apostolic mandate upon the church not just in the church but in every mountain of society. And we are seeing it now in sport, in education, in government. All around the world, there is rising up men and women that are full of the Holy Ghost. And God is raising up men and women that are going to have profound influence right across the world. And in this church, there is a governmental mandate for you in, your, in the marketplace to rise up because God's looking for a bride equal to the Son. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So the government has to be, be upon our shoulder. Because yeah. he's rising up someone that is equal in stature to the Son. So that's what we need to understand. He's coming for a bride that is powerful yeah. Yeah. and anointed. And knows how to function in their authority. Yeah. So I say to you, you've got to change the way you think. In every place you go, in every realm that you go, there is governmental authority upon your life for great success. Yeah. 
Who, me? Yes, you. But I don't have any education. Well, that's okay. God can still use you. But I don't have, I don't have you know, a lot of charisma. God can still use you. The governmental anointing, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In fact, your IQ and all those things sometimes can be a hindrance. God bless you if it's not. But God doesn't need all that. He needs someone that's humble that would say, God, use me. I believe. Anyway, now the young woman, verse 16, was very beautiful. In other words, she was gorgeous. She was a babe, okay? Let's just say it. She was, she was amazing. The young woman was very beautiful to behold. Think about it. Like, think about Sarah. Like she's 100 years old. And the king, who could have any babe in the kingdom, wants her. I mean, this is what God did to women back in those days that, that followed him and loved him. He turned their countenance. He changed their physical appearance. This is a prophetic picture to the body of Christ. We may think we're ugly. We may think we don't have a lot to offer. But when the anointing of Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will change your countenance and cause you to be the most attractive person in all of the earth. This young woman was beautiful and she was a virgin. I want you to note in those verses, there, there are phrases that, that are being used to capture our attention. She's beautiful and she's a virgin. And she went down to the well and she filled her jar. See those three things? She's beautiful, she's a virgin, and she knows how to draw water from the well. Rebecca literally means to bind or to fasten. What it literally means is this, that when men looked at her, they were captivated. She would, her, her countenance would capture them and bind them. They, they were spellbound. They, they couldn't take their eyes off her. I remember when I was a young man being captivated by a young woman that came past me one day. She came into church and I took one look at her and my heart melted. And anyway, I was just going back and a bit of... It was you. Of course it was you. She was very beautiful and a virgin. This concept of being a virgin literally means that she was pure in heart and single-minded in devotion. 2 Corinthians 11 says that, Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a virgin to Christ. But I fear lest as the serpent deceived Eve, so you, your mind would be corrupted from the singleness of devotion that is in Christ. Our virgin mindset to Jesus alone is what gives us tremendous authority in these days. Do you remember in Matthew 21, 23, there's a strange story the priests and the elders come up to Jesus and they say, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus, as he was prone to do, answered with a riddle. And he said, I'll, I'll tell you about this, my authority if you answer this question. Was the baptism of John, was it from heaven or men? And they said, well, if we say from heaven, 
then he'll say, well, why didn't you believe in him? If we say from men, we fear because John was a prophet and we'll tick off all the, all the people around us. And they said, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, then I won't tell you where I got my authority from. Interesting, isn't it? Because double-mindedness is the very thing that robs us of authority. And Jesus, it looked like he spoke a riddle, but he was giving them the answer to his authority. It came because he had singleness of devotion to the Father. Because they were double-minded, they didn't know it was heaven or from earth. They had no authority. Our authority comes as believers because we are purely devoted to the Son. No other conflict, no other secret loves, but our passion and our desire is for Jesus. She was beautiful and she was a virgin. And thirdly, it says that she was full of the Spirit. So she's beautiful, a virgin, and full of the Spirit. She's able to draw from the well. The well is a picture of deep mystery because the well is under the earth. It's that which you can't see. She's able to draw down deep and find the hidden mysteries that are contained in the heart of God. Isn't it interesting that Enoch is the seventh man from Adam? You go, yeah, Andrew, but what's that got to do with it? Well, it's a picture, he's a picture too of the end time church, the seventh day. Yeah. He was walking with God and then one day he was, was not. He was raptured, was taken away. Seven is the number of God doing things by his spirit without any other source involved. It's a picture of walking in the spirit. And isn't it interesting that Enoch was taken away when he was 365 years old? You know where we're going with this. Walking in the spirit every single day. He was a picture of the end time church that will be taken away, that have learnt daily to walk with God and draw from the well. Give the Lord a hand for that. So this is who the servant meets, this amazing bride, beautiful, virgin, and a woman of the spirit. That's us. We are beautiful. Our countenance is amazing. God's transforming us into his image from glory to glory. We're virgins. We're, we only have hearts for him. And we're people of the Spirit walking daily with him. So, verse 17, And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my Lord. Do you notice the language? The servant comes to her and says, I want a drink. And she says, Drink, my Lord. She's calling the servant a Lord. Then she let down a jar and gave him a drink. When she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water also for your camels until they finish drinking. They calculated about three hours that she drew water for the camels and the servant. I want you to notice in here that this bride has learnt to put the flesh to death. She's learnt humility. Remember I said that when God comes to us to bring order to our life, he's looking for a heart that is humble. The reason God aligns Rebecca with the servant is because the posture of our heart 
is humble and is willing to receive and to give. Right throughout the scripture, it tells us as God's people that we are to crucify our flesh. Now, I'm just going to spend a couple of minutes on this so you don't get too uncomfortable. It says, those who belong to Christ, how many people belong to Christ? Come on, put your hand up if you belong to Christ. Nice and high. Come on, I'm setting you up. Put your hands up nice and high. All right, gotcha. Galatians 5.24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, we'll walk in the Spirit. Romans 8.12 says the same thing. Colossians 3.5. It's telling us that as the bride of Christ, we have positioned our hearts for more of Him because we've put the flesh to death. This season of prayer and fasting, the reason why you get so ugly when you fast is because the flesh is coming up and the things you thought weren't there surface and you think that's ugly. In fact, fasting brings out the worst in people. <laughs> it's a meant to. It's because you're crucifying the flesh. When they nailed the, the nails into Jesus' hands on the cross, he wasn't singing kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. He wasn't having a party. It was painful. But when you're crucified and you're put to death, life comes. So the body of Christ is being positioned for this end time outpouring and preparation for the sun to come. And, and, and that all is, is preceded by a season of dying to our flesh. She's watering not just him, but the camels. She's willing to lay down her life. It's hot, it's dirty, it's, it's painful work. And she's slaving and working hard. Do you see the posture of a heart? She's crucified the flesh. Well, you know what it's like in church. People can come to church and, and, and the flesh is so strong. Oh, it's, it's cold in here. It's hot in here. You know, the pastor went three minutes over the sermon. Someone looked at me the wrong way. The flesh is so prevalent. That's why Paul says to the church, I do not permit women to speak. And we think, oh, God's got an issue with women. No, in the Bible, women are a picture of the soul, men are a picture of the spirit. He's saying, I don't want the flesh to manifest itself when God's people come together. They'd have a, prayer, a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song. They'd come in the realm of the spirit and not of the soul. And so what God is doing, preparing us for Jesus' return, he's killing all the flesh that's sitting in the house of God. And I tell you, there's a lot of flesh in me. And there's a lot of flesh in you. And if you don't think it, it's there, just start fasting. Just start praying. Just start giving. Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. All things done in secret. And he says, if you nail this and deal with the flesh in the secret place, I'll reward you openly. And God's desire is to reward the church, to pour out his favor. We're going to see that in a minute. But we're in the secret place. We're in seasons of stepping back and allowing our flesh to be crucified. Amen. Come on, say an amen to that. Amen. By the Spirit, we mortify the flesh. You go, Andrew, you don't know how strong my flesh is. My friend, I know what it's like to have strong flesh. But I'm telling you, by the Spirit, we mortify the flesh. And there's some things I couldn't do in my own strength. I needed the Holy Ghost who wants to come. Remember, if we humble our hearts, he comes and he brings, puts things in order. If we don't, he disciplines us. And I've had both. And we come to a place where our hearts are humbled and God's able to move as he would desire. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> Verse 22. 
So it was when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold nose ring, weighing half a shekel, and put it up a nose. How would you like one of those? Signifying nose ring was ownership, but listen, because she's humbled herself and postured herself and she's served and she's poured out her life, because she's fasted and prayed in our context and got before the Lord and loved on him and allowed him to deal with the realms of the flesh, he brings the gold out and the gold is the glory. He's changing her countenance. He puts the gold in her nose and all of a sudden she begins to glow with the glory of God. We behold him as in a mirror and we transform from glory to glory like Moses who had to put a veil on his face because the glory was so strong. And it's a, it's a fading glory that is nothing compared to the glory that you and I are promised. So think about that. There is a day available for you and I where we are so touched by the power of the Holy Ghost that our physical faces begin to reflect Jesus Christ. And I can't believe that Jesus is going to return before that happens to the body of Christ, that we all are shining and radiant. You know, you'll know who a believer is because when they walk down the street, they are literally glowing with the presence of God. A nose ring and a bracelet. Glory on her countenance, glory on her hands. Everything she touched turns to gold. There's glory over her over her countenance and over her works. Isn't this amazing? And he says, whose daughter are you? Tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And she says to him in verse 25, we have straw and feed and room to lodge. I love this about the bride because she knows how to host the Holy Spirit and the provision that he's bringing. Don't, don't forget both of those. Both him and the camels. We are being prepared right now, learning how to host. So when we worship, when we praise and worship, we are learning both corporately and individually how to host Holy Spirit. There is room in my house for you, Holy Spirit. Like Enoch, every day, hosting the presence of God, taking time out of your day just to say, Jesus, I love you. Many of you are very busy people, but just taking that moment, you know, taking a toilet break and shutting the door and just lifting up your hands in the cubicle and saying, Jesus, I love you. Come on, Holy Spirit. Let's go out again and let's take this, this whole mar marketplace for you. Just taking that time, getting away, hiding around the corner, going for a walk in your lunch break and spending time with him. Hosting the Holy Ghost and his provision. We, we all learn how to host so much provision in this season. See, some people want to host the servant without the camels. They come as a package. God's increasing our faith to host both the camels and the servant. So he goes to the home and he tells Rebecca's parents and brother all that's taken place. The servant recalls the story of traveling from Abraham and all that took place at the well. And how was all God's purpose? And in verse 50, Then Laban answered and said, What you've said has come from the Lord. We can't speak either bad or good. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. And let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard the words, he worshipped the Lord, and he bowed himself to the earth. And the servant brought out jewellery of silver... 
redemption, jewelry of gold, the glory, and clothing, righteousness, and, the, and garments also represent the anointings and the mantle of God. And I want you to see, before the bride returns to the sun, there's going to be an increase of the redemptive work of God. What does that look like? We are redeemed from the curse of sickness, sin, and poverty. And that's going to be smashed in the body of Christ. Redemption is ours. And he brings out the silver. He brings out the gold, which is glory encounters. And times when God's glory just blasts these people. And he gives garments, both of righteousness, and so we all know that we're clean and pure, and our identity has been made whole. But there are also garments and mantles of anointings to function in wisdom and understanding. He's good. Verse 54, And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they stayed all night, and they rose in the morning. And he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young women stay with us a few days. Come on, we'll never see her again. At least 10 days. How many days? Figure it out. Figure it out. See, there are some people that are always going to be around you that will try and hinder the purposes and plans of God. And he said, do not hinder me. The Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go. And they said, we'll call the woman and ask her. And they said, Rebecca, will you go with this man? And she said these three great words, I will go. How many people will say, I will go today? Luke 17, Jesus was asked about the end times and he says this phrase, remember Lot's wife. She was unable to transition. She lost her forward motion because she looked back and where God once was moving, now it was a monument. She was turned into a monument because she looked back at what God was doing. She wasn't able to transition into what God was doing. Rebecca, however, is willing to leave her past and transition into what God has. Church is going to look and already does look very different to what you grew up in. And here's going to be the challenge. Right now, it's been prophesied there is a billion soul harvest coming to the church worldwide. And predominantly, many of those, it's being prophesied, will be young people. So God is transitioning the church to look very different. But the older people, the over 50s, that's me. We're going to be needed because the mums and dads are going to be needed to clean the mess up. We've had, we know what it's like to fail. We've gone through all the junk and I can speed up your racing life. Don't do what I did. Learn from my mistakes. I can bring my 50 years and whack it into you in 50 days. And so the mums and dads are going to come alongside and this new generation with passion and vigor. We saw that this morning with Clary. Wow! Preaching like that. It's like... I don't think I even need to get up and preach. You see, that it's going to be like an acceleration because this is what God's He's transitioning the church into something that looks so different. And I want to say to you that are older people, don't lose sight of what God is doing. This is not just about you. God needs you here because you've got all the money and you've got all the wisdom and the young people need you. 
You've got to get a, a, a revelation of God's plan. The ten camels came. God had a plan. But some people resisted that plan. Laban said, let us stay ten days. He wanted to hold it back into what was, not what is to come. Yeah. And I want to say to you today, by the Spirit of God, do not hold on to what has been. Church looks so different. God's doing a new work, a new thing. And even how he pours out his Spirit is going to blow us away because we've never seen it that way. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not God. He is the God who was, who is, and is to come. He's full of surprises. And these sanctimonious, religious knuckleheads that look at what God is doing and say, that can't be God. That doesn't line up with my theology, my experience. My friend, God is bigger than you. Wow. Change is going to be our friend in this decade. So verse 61, we're right just around the corner from finishing. Rebecca and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels, and they followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and departed, and Isaac now is out in the field meditating in the evening. He lifts up his eyes and he looks. Jesus right now is looking from heaven at his bride. Waiting, longing, saying, Father, it can't be far away because I'm looking at Hope City Church. And there's, there's this rumble of passion and longing in their hearts. I reckon they're almost close to my passion for them. It can't be long, the father says. Not long now, son. How much longer, Dad, till we get there? <laughs> and he lifts up his eyes and he sees the camels are coming. See, that's, that's a picture right now. The camels are coming. We're on our way back. There's still work to be done, but our hearts are being positioned for the coming of the Lord. And you see, you say, when will Jesus return? Well, it's, it sounds a bit odd, but it's, it's partly up to us. When our hunger matches his hunger, it's game, set, and match. So Rebecca lifted up her eyes and she saw Isaac and she dismounted from her camel. Underline that. Get this. The Hebrew phrase for dismounted from her camel literally means she fell off her camel and collapsed. One Jewish commentator writes that she saw Isaac and his majestic appearance and she was astounded by him. Are you getting this? She's on a camel. She sees Isaac standing in the field and he's so majestic. She's astounded. It was a bit like when Karen first saw me. Her, I had to get that in. Her jaw dropped. She began to dribble. She said, I could not believe that God could make such a specimen of a man. Thank you, Jesus. I told you this story, this wouldn't be humorous, this message, didn't I? But we got a bit of humor in. She fell off her camel and collapsed. So when I read this, I get, I get this picture that, that, see, this is not just going to be, this is what you need to be careful. We think linear, we think 
We think all or nothing. But I believe this is going to be not just when we see Jesus in heaven. This is going to be a recurring appearance. More and more. So it'll be like we keep falling off the camel. Right? Because we're going to see him. We're going to see him again. Then we're going to get another glimpse. See, she began to see him from a long distance away. And all of a sudden, when she was there, she falls off the camel. She's astounded at how amazing he is. Following Jesus is not supposed to be boring. If you're bored, it's because you've got a dose of religion. You've missed the point. You've turned Jesus into some idol or some religious notion. But when you see Jesus, you will fall off your camel. There's a good quote for the day. <laughs> then Isaac, verse 67, brought her into his mother's tent, Sarah. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Underline that. He loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It's the second time in scripture where we see this phrase, love, that is mentioned, a love. The first time, Abraham loves Isaac. The father loves the son. And the second time we see this is now Isaac loving Rebekah. The son loves the church. Jesus said in John 15, 9, As the Father loves me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Yeah. Spend the night in my tent. This is what we've been invited into in this season. It's profound. God has sent Holy Spirit on a mission to the church. He's preparing us for the greatest outpouring of His Spirit right here now and he's also preparing us for ever increasing encounters with the son until the day that we are with him in heaven this is our eternal hope this is what god is doing right now and right now his spirit is all over this place i can see it i can feel it he is coming to bring order to your life he's preparing you for the greatest outpouring he's preparing you to have encounters with Jesus that will leave you absolutely astounded. Absolutely astounded. So lift up your hands. And we ask, Father, as we prepare our hearts in these 20 days of prayer and fasting, Lord, we're positioning ourselves like Rebecca to encounter you, Holy Spirit. We begin to draw deep of you. And we say, Father, where there are areas of the flesh that are blocking your order in our life, we surrender them to you the best we know how. Holy Spirit, help us to mortify the flesh. Cause us to have eyes for you alone. In this world where there's so much distraction and so much confusion, we want to be absolutely radically sold out for Jesus. We want our lives to mirror the purity and the holiness and the separation unto you. We want to be, Lord, in the world, functioning, helping those, bringing strategy, but not of the world. We want to have your mind in this season. So find us like you found Rebecca. And I pray, Lord, that there would be gifts of silver and gold and garments 
poured out upon your people. Let there come new redemption in their life. Let there come increases of glory and anointings upon their life. I prophesy today that you are the bride of Christ and the heart of Jesus today is so for you. And He loves you and He's preparing you and He is sending forth His Spirit right now. And the answer that He's waiting for from each one of us is, will you come? And like Rebecca, Lord, as a church, each one of us, we say, I will go. I'm yours, Lord. Lord, as a church, we say, we will go. You've got our hearts. We will pursue you. We will lay down our lives. Lord, we just want more of you. So would you lift up your hands? Let's do this collectively as a church and say, Lord, we will go. Why don't we say that out loud? We will go. Let's say it again. We will go. Thank you, Father.